Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Why migration is mostly a good thing. Leonard Doyle. They're not a crisis to be solved, they're an opportunity. And in fact, they're a reality of globalization. Let's calm people's fears, let's explain to people that the internal movie in their head about migration isn't of muggers and rapists and terrorists coming, it's actually of people whom you drop your kids off to in the morning, the person who gives you a sandwich. I mean, Steve Jobs' dad came from Syria. The needle is going way over to the right. It's highly volatile. We're inflaming populism. And before we know it, Europe will be unrecognizable. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Jim, remember the boat people? Hundreds of thousands of desperate migrants and refugees who left Vietnam during the late 70s and early 80s. Where are they now? Right. A lot of them are successful business people in the U.S. Now, I remember meeting some shrimp boat owners down on the Gulf of Mexico uh, not too long after Hurricane Katrina. And they had moved from being fishermen in Vietnam to operating these very successful uh, shrimp boats in the Gulf of Mexico. And now, once again, we have boat people in the Mediterranean, and President Trump is talking about immigrants flooding into this country, right-wing populists in both the U.S., Europe, and even other countries as well, portray migrants and refugees not as an opportunity, but as a threat. Yeah, you know, you see these media images of people crowded into rafts in the Mediterranean or coming across the border from Mexico. And sometimes those images reinforce certain stereotypes. But in fact, migration around the world is at record high today. More people are on the move. Recently, I went to Geneva, Switzerland, headquarters of IOM, which is the UN's migration agency. And I spoke there with IOM's head of media and communications, Leonard Doyle. I asked him first... Is migration a much greater problem than it used to be? Well, we would challenge that it's a problem. It's, uh, it's something that's happening. It's a reality to be dealt with rather than a crisis. That's how we like to frame it. Indeed, what we see on the television, what we see in mainstream media is looks like a crisis and what politicians are spouting all the time. They turn it into a crisis and they divide people. They divide otherwise rational people. They, they exacerbate fears because people are fearful about their future, their jobs their values, their communities. And we think it's the absolute worst thing we can be doing is to kind of play on those fears. So let's talk about migration. We today have about 750 million migrants in the world. Many of these are students who have 
gone and studied somewhere, fallen in love and overstayed their visa. They're migrants. Tourists, same thing happens. Guess what? They fall in love, they stay. Some are people who are moving for their jobs, what are commonly known as expats in this weird way we describe them. But they're migrants at the end of the day. So so what you're saying is that in many cases, migrants are not a problem, but an opportunity. Yeah, they're not a crisis to be solved. They're an opportunity. And in fact, they're a reality of globalization. Many of the wonderful things we know about globalization, the, the, the microphone you have right in front of me, the iPhone beside you, are all a product of migrants. I mean, Steve Jobs' dad came from Syria. So you wouldn't have that, this incredible technology without the process of of migration. Look at um, look at the, the founder of Facebook. Look where his family came from, Germany. Like wherever you look, you often find the innovators, the creators, the harder workers come from the migration background. Are people on the move now more than ever? And if so, why? I think that is, it is fair to say that there are more people on the move than have ever been before. And it's due to the opening of borders, the better transportation, this extraordinary revolution in air transport, the ease uh, through which people can be whizzed through security despite the obvious uh, challenges we sometimes face. We're in a much more mobile world and we have what we call shrinking distance technology. People get on Skype and before they know it, they're making plans to travel halfway around the world to meet their family member in China or somewhere. So I think what's happened is all of this has speeded up over time. And what we haven't done is we haven't quite caught up intellectually or emotionally with the reality of suddenly our communities are much more mixed. Our migrant populations are working with us. They're sitting right beside us. They're not in a ghetto somewhere anymore. A little pushback. You say that people on the move generally are an opportunity rather than a crisis, and yet we have these huge problems that your organization, IOM, International Organization for Migration, are dealing with. For instance, the desperate plight of Rohingyas in Bangladesh or the movement of people who are desperate to leave uh, extreme poverty in Africa. I think let's separate uh, two things. One is the refugee issue, which you've alluded to in in the Rohingya in Bangladesh. These are people who are being forced out of their country with a very sharp stick in their back, not to say a machete. These are people who are entitled to, deserving of, need to be granted refugee status. It's absolutely cut and dry. It gets a bit more difficult when people are leaving because of poverty or climate change or any of the multitude of reasons that people decide because they saw the bright lights on their smartphone, on their Facebook feed, for example. They said, I'm getting out of here. There's there's too much dust in this town of mine. There's not enough going on. I'm getting out of here. Things which people have done for generations, centuries, millennia. Migration is the best adaptation strategy in the face of human trouble. And so that's what people do. And we, with our technology, are so entranced with it for our own life, we forget that it's having an equal and greater impact for the people who don't have many resources. I mean, a smartphone is a supercomputer in the hands of a kid with a torn T-shirt. Why would we blame him for seeking a better life? To what extent is that supercomputer, that, that smartphone, in the hands of often people who are, who are very poor and who want to move out uh, of their situation, a, a problem? To what extent is the smartphone and social media a problem in, in this mix? Well, in some ways, it's an opportunity. In some ways, it's a massive problem. It's an opportunity because it gives people a route. It gets people, it expands people's minds, people who are interested in 
wider knowledge of the world. They've got it now in their hands. They just need to find a Wi-Fi connection. But it's also a pernicious opportunity for unscrupulous criminals, smugglers, traffickers, abusers of weak and vulnerable and poorly educated people to exploit them. And this is a massive problem because as social media, so-called, invades our media space and actually takes it over, without acknowledging that it's media, it's not taking the responsibility that media companies normally had. So, for example, if uh, a media company is is suddenly exposed as being a conduit for advertisements for human trafficking, it's going to sort it out right away or lose its reader base or its advertisers. That doesn't happen with social media. And these crimes are being committed on their channels with impunity. It's a problem. Expand on that. I mean, it seems like there's a problem with this whole issue of social media that has not been solved but needs to be are there any ideas you'd have to move things forward we're we're a solution show i mean part of it is taking the problem back to them and having them understand and having people understand that while social media is wonderful and we all use it it also is really really dangerous and really problematic and it's criminal to allow criminals use your tools to exploit people. Let's just accept that and let's figure out ways to resolve it. So, for example, you and I sitting here over the microphone could quickly set up a Facebook page and start inviting people to come to Europe and start collecting money off them using encrypted devices and you name it. Why is that okay? Why is that not an outrage? So why is it okay that we have 26 Nigerian young women their corpses floating in a sinking rubber dinghy. In all likelihood, that journey began with an entreaty over social media to come and get a great new job in Europe. That was done by somebody using these social media platforms. Why are there no filters? At the very least, why aren't we communicating back to these people that beware, beware of the liars in social media? Just like we communicate with our own populations to beware about taking a few drinks before you get in the car. I mean, it's the basis of civic society that we communicate good behavior. Why do the social media companies refuse to do this? If there's one solution or even several solutions that you would offer or or improvements in the overall picture of of global migration, uh, what would they be? Well, I think there needs to be a a more grown-up approach by the mainstream media to stop panicking people about migration. Just because you see some people being picked up, fished up out of the water in the Mediterranean does not mean there's an invasion of people coming. Let's manage the process. Let's calm people's fears. Let's explain to people that the internal movie in their head about migration isn't of muggers and rapists and terrorists coming. It's actually of people whom you drop your kids off to in the morning, the person who gives you a sandwich. When you get a root canal, it's more than likely going to be a migrant who's doing it to you later in the afternoon, and brilliantly probably. Many of the parts of our daily lives these days are brought to us through globalization, if you will, but the globalization of people. And at the same time, reassure people that there's no loss of values. There's an enrichment of values. Another way to put this would be that when most of us read a newspaper or, or, or go online, we get a very negative view of, of migrants. We see it as a vast crisis. We see it as people who are desperate to, to survive in many cases, whereas there's a, there's a more positive side to this as well. Indeed. I mean, nobody rational believes in open borders there's nobody advocating 
for people to move wherever they want, wherever they can. We know that. There, has to, there have to be visas. There have to be selection processes. But let's help countries do this in a humane way. Let's help train the border guards of X country. So instead of clubbing migrants over the head, they're dealing with them in a humane way. Let's explain to the migrants that it's probably a waste of their family's money if they sell the goats and the roof and the whatever, the house, to send Johnny on his way to Europe. He's likely to not make it, and the money is likely to go to criminals and militias in Libya. Why not help build civic society? build a better future around, shall we call it, making it in Africa rather than making it in Europe. Let's help build things rather than destroy things through algorithms which are designed as clickbait for the future. I mean, this is the problem. You see a negative story, up pops another one. This is the algorithm of social media. They need more clicks. They give you worse news. It's a problem, and it's creating problems not just for the folks in Africa, for example, in this case. It's creating problems right across Europe because we're inflaming populism and the needle is going way over to the right. It's highly volatile. And before we know it, Europe will be unrecognizable. Thank you, social media. That's Leonard Doyle of IOM, the UN Migration Agency, speaking with me in Geneva, Switzerland. So, Jim, a few points coming out of that interview. One, that migration, at least according to Leonard, is a a net positive, and I think I'd agree with him. Certainly, the world is becoming more diverse. But then he also says the role of social media in planting false dreams can be destructive and for me, that is a reminder that Facebook is, is much more than a portal or simply a neutral bystander when it comes to the Internet, but is a publisher of information. And, and Facebook and other social media sites have to face up to their responsibility. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So often you hear about concerns about social media reinforcing negative stereotypes, you know, reinforcing some kind of, you know, alt-right message or something like that. In this case, he's actually talking about migrants in Africa and other places hearing about from, you know, friends and relatives maybe and about life in Germany or Sweden or somewhere and then taking enormous deadly risks to try to get to those places. And and he's hopeful that maybe we could stem some of that tide of migration. You know, overall, I'm sorry I wasn't able to join you in Geneva for, the, for that interview. <laughs> um, and the work that Doyle and, and, and IOM do is, is so important. And being advocates for some of the, these refugees in particular who are so – in need of all kinds of help and support. It's a really, really vital role. That said, I do think that when we come to the immigration debate here in the US, it's really important to separate these issues. They're very different things. A lot of, of Doyle's focus is on refugees and the plights of refugees today are, are really dramatic in several places around the globe. But there's also the more routine illegal immigration, the economic migrants, and there's a lot of those in Europe as well. Uh, arguably, a fair portion of the people trying to cross the Mediterranean are are economic migrants, as, at least as much as they are political refugees. So, what you're saying is is that the overall focus is is both a mixture of positive and negative that it's more complicated than just simply saying the more mi- migrants exactly the better. and then finally you have legal immigration all sorts of legitimate questions about how much legal immigration we want and i think we see a lot of distortion of this discussion on both sides on the 
right. You see a lot of denigration of, of immigrants in general, uh, and certainly Trump didn't help this debate in some of the, the reckless things he said. But on the left, you have this tendency to bundle everything together and say, well, we're all a nation of immigrants. Therefore, we shouldn't try to control the border. We shouldn't try to figure out who's here legally and not. And it's funny to me because, you know, the liberals used to be concerned about illegal immigration. I mean, Cesar Chavez, the great labor, farm workers, labor leader, was very opposed to illegal immigration. You know, Joe Biden was very concerned about illegal immigration back in the 90s because, of course, you know, if you flood or let's not use the word flood, if you bring in large numbers of unskilled laborers, that is going to suppress wages for relatively unskilled native-born workers. I mean, it's just a law of supply and demand. So at some point, we need to have a less inflamed discussion and start looking at the numbers and some pragmatic ideas about how much immigration do we want, what kind of people are helpful for our country to come here. These are hard questions, and I feel like we're getting – in some ways, we're getting farther away from a nice – respectful, rational discussion because both sides are framing this uh, this debate in such overheated ways. I agree with you, except that the inflamer in chief is in the White House. And that is a big change because when George W. Bush was in the White House, he was actually very constructive in many ways about immigration. And it's traditionally been the role for the White House to at least be civilized when it comes to the whole debate over over immigrants and refugees. Whereas right now, we have Trump, and I would say his weak rhetoric, because there's nothing self-confident or strong in being suspicious about other countries, making it easy for the rest of the world to portray the U.S. as the bad guy, when historically, American immigration policy has actually been more generous than many other nations. That's true. That's true. But the fact is, we do need to discuss what we're going to do about immigration. I do think the system needs some changes. And and, and one, one area where it may need changes is for the United States to be more like Canada, where Canada admits immigrants in on an economic rather than a family basis. Whereas in Canada, they say, let's try and give priority to people who have skills who are needed in the workforce. Right. Before we end, let's circle back to the beginning, which is that I think a key here is still to look at migrants themselves and accept that for the most part, and not entirely, that in many cases, migration is a good thing and it's an inevitable thing with our world becoming more urban and also closer together with with more cultures influencing one yeah. another. I mean, I almost feel like maybe that's not true anymore. That's kind of obvious. I guess at these times it bears they, restating. They need to be restating, uh, right. But restating it in, alone is not enough. You still need some kind of sensible policy. And it would, sure would be nice if we had some people in Congress, not to mention the White House, who were capable of articulating a more reasonable policy because the current system isn't quite working. Well, when I think of reasonable and sensible, Jim, I think of you. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it, it's how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. I'm Jim Meggs. And thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Our music is by Luz Travinsky. And we are a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at our revamped website by Michelle Curry, our good friend, www 
We don't have to say that anymore, do we? <laughs> DaviesContent.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.